boys and girls. Welcome back to this podcast, The Colored Patriots of the American Revolution. Before I get started on this episode, I just wanted to say that we are up on iTunes now, as well as a few other uh, platforms. Uh, but I also wanted to just uh, give a thank you to those of you who went onto iTunes to leave uh, uh, a rating and a good review. I appreciate the feedback, and I know it's going to help us a lot. And so thanks again uh, to all of you who, who did that. So last time we looked at the state of Massachusetts, uh, and in this episode, we're going to take a look at a, about three states actually here in New England, uh, New Hampshire, Vermont, and Rhode Island. So to start off, uh, New Hampshire, uh, this section and these sections were, were all pretty short, uh, but starting in with New Hampshire, uh, the one story here that I wanted to relate to you is regarding a man named Jude Hall. Uh, the story of Jude Hall is bittersweet and unfortunately it doesn't end well. He was born in Exeter, uh, New Hampshire, and served uh, in the war under General Poor from 1775 to 1783. He saw action in most of the battles, including Bunker Hill, Ticonderoga, Saratoga, Trenton, and Monmouth. And Nell, the author of uh, our book that we're looking at here, writes, He was called a great soldier and was known in New Hampshire to the day of his death by the name of, quote, Old Rock. But it's at this point that this story then takes a tragic turn. Uh, Nell continues, singular to relate, three of his sons have been kidnapped at different times and reduced to slavery. James was put on board a New, a New Orleans vessel. Aaron was stolen from Providence in 1807. And William went to sea in the bar Cannibal from Newburyport and was sold in the West Indies from whence he escaped after 10 years of slavery and sailed as a captain of a collier from Newcastle to London. We may think that New Hampshire was a free state because it's up north, but slavery did exist there, and it was only abolished after the war ended. Sort of. I want to explain that. There were several hundred slaves in total, and that number dwindled into the dozens by the end of the war. Blacks throughout New England began writing petitions for emancipation and were often met with a, a passionless response. These states, though, began enacting policies that would gradually eradicate slavery, although there was no clear abolition of it, like what we would see later with the 13th Amendment. Vermont was the one state that did explicitly abolish slavery by constitutional provision in 1777. So when it joined the U.S. in 1791, it was one of the few states that actually had no slavery. So there, there's a trivia question for you that you can use at your next cocktail party. Now we go to the state of Vermont, where we get to look at a very interesting figure named Lemuel Haynes, who was, in a lot of interesting ways, a man ahead of his times, as we'll see in a moment. He was born in 1753 to an African father and a Scottish immigrant mother who came over as an indentured servant. They abandoned him as an infant, and he was brought into the household of Deacon David Rose of Granville, Massachusetts, where he was raised as an indentured servant until the age of 21. Ironically, once he reaches his 21st birthday, or not too long after that, and when he gets his freedom from servitude, he signs up as a Minuteman in 1774, seeing action at the Battle of Lexington and Concord. 
he was also there at the siege of Boston and at Ticonderoga uh, to stop British General Burgoyne's uh, Northern Army. Uh, he was serving in the ranks of Ethan Allen's famous Green Mountain Boys, which was a special commando unit in the Continental Army. Uh, this was a kind of a unique uh, regiment that has a really long and storied uh, kind of pedigree. Uh, the uh, This militia uh, stayed in existence and, and uh, its members served in the war in the War of 1812, the Civil War, the Spanish-American War, the Vietnam War, and the conflicts of uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And today, the Green Mountain Boys is kind of the informal name of the Vermont National Guard. Ethan Allen himself was also kind of an inspirational figure uh, for the uh, modern-day Army Rangers uh, as well. And you'll see that a lot of the installations and places where they train and work are uh, named after him. Uh, but Lemuel Hennings was part of this unit, and it was him. He was one of three black men who served in the unit. But there's more. The story continues. Uh, on top of being a veteran, uh, he was also a bit of a theologian. Uh, he had the gift of rhetoric going back to his childhood, where he was known to write and preach uh, some very stirring uh, sermons. Uh, after the war, uh, he returned to his farming duties at Granville. Massachusetts, where he continued to train in theology. He studied Latin with the Reverend Daniel Ferrand in New Canaan, Connecticut, and then he studied Greek with Reverend uh, William Bradford in Bloomfield, uh, Connecticut. In November of 1780, he was licensed to preach and accepted a call at the Congregational Church of Middle Granville, making, making him the first African-American minister of an all-white congregation, which is... I think it's fairly interesting. Uh, this is the first black man in the U.S. to be ordained as a minister. And at and on top of that, he's serving and, and pastoring an all-white church. And this is, again, in 1785 when this happened. He then married a white school teacher named Elizabeth Babbitt. And yes, in case you didn't hear me correctly, I said he married a white school teacher named Elizabeth Babbitt. Again, we're talking about 1785 here, folks. Uh, they got married and they had 10 kids. Yes, 10 kids. In 1787, the West Parish Church in Rutland, Vermont, uh, then called them to be their pastor, and that's where he went and served for the next 30 years. Again, this was a an all-white church, and he also served in churches that were integrated, uh, So, the, which is interesting given what we know about history later uh, in time, uh, to see this kind of integration at such an early stage is uh, really remarkable. Uh, Lemuel uh, came from a Reformed background, and he believed uh, slavery would be defeated in God's providential timing. His sermon spoke to a hope of harmonious racial integration as equals, and we can see from his life that he, he certainly lived what he preached. His sermons were published in newspapers and other per periodicals uh, here in the U.S. and abroad, making him the first black man to have his sermons uh, seen in print. And he also became somewhat of an international figure. The following eulogy uh, appeared in The Liberator, which was a, an abolitionist uh, magazine in the antebellum period. 
uh, and it appeared a month after the Reverend Hayden's death in 1833. It, it reads, We shall never forget the man who is the subject of this notice. We have seen him in the pulpit and at his own house and amidst his family, and we can truly say he seemed ever like a man of God. There was something peculiarly touching in the manner in which he invited sinners to the only refuge. He was original in his ideas, gentle in his reproofs and powerful in his rebukes. His talent at satire was prodigious, and when he found it necessary to employ it, his opponents would shrink away before him and leave him master of the field. His discourse on universal salvation preached immediately after the conclusion of a sermon by Hosea Balu in his own pulpit is a wonderful illustration of this remark. Mr. Haynes was beloved by all the friends of God, and we have seen the tears flow from many eyes while listening to his addresses in the religious conference. As he resided for 30 years within six miles of our native place, we were permitted to hear him frequently, and we were always instructed and edified. But he is gone, gone to rest in his glory. May his mantle fall on some other whose voice shall utter the warning of Jehovah as fearlessly as his in the ears of the impenitent. We know of many who will own him at the last day as their spiritual father. But Mr. Haynes was a man of color. Had he not, therefore, a mind like that of other men? Let those who listen to his thrilling eloquence answer. He suffered much in consequence of cruel prejudice against those of his color, but he never complained. He was a spirit which soared above such things. He knew there was a heaven of joy where differences of color would not exist, or if they did, it would be no hindrance to the intimate union of saints. His love to the Savior was supreme. He said while his family surrounded his bed of death, quote, I love my wife, I love my children, but I love my Savior better than all. And did not his Savior love him and fulfill his promise to him? Quote, I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your joy no man taketh from you. Okay, so just a brief word about our sponsor, Anchor.fm. Uh, this is an easy endorsement for me to do uh, because I can, I've already seen the value in it. It's the reason why you're even listening to this podcast. Uh, and particularly for those of you who have ever thought about uh, doing a podcast, uh, you should really uh, check these guys out. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And there's several benefits uh, to it. One, it's free. So, hello. Uh, two, there's creation tools that they uh, supply you with that rec record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. So once you're on the platform or on the site, you can, you can do it there. You don't have to have, you know, expensive software and learn how to uh, do complicated editing. Uh, Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple podcasts, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you can also make money from the podcast uh, without a uh, minimum listenership. So that's another plus. Uh, also, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. It's all in one place. You don't have to download multiple programs. It's all just in one website. Log in. Boom. Everything is there, ready to go. It's just totally easy. Really check them out. I'm glad I came across this. I'm glad I got a recommendation from a friend of mine who does her own podcast because uh, it's just so beneficial. So, again, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started.
is a peace of mind in a happy place that we all need to find. The other individual of note from Vermont that Nell mentions is Judge Theophilus Harrington of the Vermont Supreme Court. What's noteworthy about him is his decision in a case regarding an alleged fugitive slave. The master was from New York and he came to Vermont to reclaim his slave and produced bills of sale for both him, uh, the slave that is, and his mother. Judge Harrington said that the documents of title did not go far enough back in time. When the owner asked what proof of ownership the judge would accept, Judge Harrington replied, quote, nothing short of a bill of sale signed by God Almighty himself, unquote. Justices Royal Tyler and Jonathan Robinson uh, also concurred and the slave was set free. Their actions were considered by abolitionists as an expression of Vermont's constitutional prohibition against slavery. And this case became uh, pretty well known as was used by abolitionists as, as a kind of an argument to help kind of bolster their case. Uh, the supposed quote from Harrington was engraved on a plaque, uh, which was installed in Westminster Abbey, even in, in, over in London, by, by British abolitionists uh, there. Court decisions from that period were not recorded, so we can't be certain of the quote, but the first evidence of it can be traced back to Benjamin Shaw's 1846 lecture, Illegality of Slavery. And finally, we turn to the state of Rhode Island, where we look at the story of the 1st Rhode Island Regiment, also known as the Black Regiment. During that famous winter at Valley Forge, when the Continental Army was being tested with bitter cold, hunger, desertion, General James Varnum of Rhode Island suggested that his state recruit an all-black regiment to serve in the army. This was done partly to kind of help the state reach its uh, quotas uh, that it was required to meet in order to help supply the Continental Army and uh, contribute to the war effort. Washington approved of the plan and Varnum began recruiting in the spring of 1778. On February 14, 1778, the Rhode Island Assembly voted to allow, quote, every able-bodied Negro, mulatto, or Indian manslave in the state to enlist into either of the Continental Battalions being raised. This assembly further stipulated that, quote, every slave so enlisting shall, upon his passing muster before Colonel Christopher Green, be immediately discharged from the service of his master or mistress and be absolutely free. So this uh, encouraged uh, slaves to uh, join and with the promise that uh, they would get freedom in return for their service. Now the slave owners in the state weren't ha weren't happy obviously and began to push back. And in June of that same year the assembly repealed the law, but not before over 100 free men and ex-slaves were able to enlist in that 4-month period. Uh, the regiment eventually totaled around 225 men with about 140 of them being black. The next interesting development is that the black soldiers were integrated into the rest of the regiment from their segregated companies since the law put an end to the recruitment and there were no more uh, black soldiers that were going to be coming in to the unit. So they started to just distribute them throughout the rest of the regiment. So not only do we have an all black unit at first, at least, uh, but now uh, we're looking at a racially integrated regiment centuries before the integration movements that we see in the post-World War II era that we're much more familiar with. As historian Henry Weinsick has observed, quote, there was no record of a popular outcry against the black presence. 
No record of fights or interdisciplinary problems caused by racial integration. The common white New England soldier seems to have accepted blacks. The objections to the black presence came not from the rank and file, but from the highest levels of policymakers and politicians, unquote. Not too surprising, I don't think. So, though often associated with African-American soldiers, as Varnum had first proposed in his plan, the 1st Rhode Island Regiment was an integrated unit composed of African-Americans, Native Americans, and white soldiers who served together from 78 through the end of the conflict in 83. And again, I just wanted to highlight just how unique and interesting that is because the the more well-known uh, military units made up of black veterans are those like the 54th Massachusetts in uh, the Civil War, uh, the uh, Buffalo Soldiers, the Tuskegee Airmen, and so on. But we don't really hear about you know the 1st Rhode Island Regiment. And this is the early... Again, the early 18th century, or excuse me, the late 18th century, well before the Constitution's even ratified and back all the way back at the beginning of the founding of this country, we're seeing uh, black units being raised and then integrated units being uh, raised and serving together uh, without any issue or without any problem. And I think that just bolsters and speaks to Nell's argument, again, that he's making throughout this book that that black men and women have been contributing and have been there at the beginning, uh, doing their patriotic duty. And the, and so it, it just shows how important it is that he records their story so that we have this record now for posterity to always go back to, to see what was done and to see the contributions that were made and to be able to recognize that and appreciate it and honor it. So I think, uh, again, I think this is a great history to learn. And uh, my only, only hope is that more people you know, find out about this. So thanks again for listening while I share some of these interesting stories with you. Again, the book is Colored Patriots of the American Revolution by William Cooper Nell. And I would uh, really encourage you to go out and get it. I know some of you who have listened to the podcast so far have already done it. It's not too hard to find. And I think it'll give you something new and something different, something that you probably haven't learned or heard of before, and uh, just a different way of doing Black History Month this year. So that'll be it for now, and you'll hear from me again.